Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Music Note Podcast, where we'll be exploring the different occupations and careers linked to the art of music. I'm your host, Lori Leanne. In this second episode, I have a conversation with one of the best tour managers out there, Mr. Mark St. Louis. He's toured around the world with artists like Lenny Kravitz, Guns N' Roses, and Brian Wilson, just to name a few. Recently, he received the Parnelli Tour Manager of the Year Award. Listen as we talk about his career and what is necessary to get the job done right. Welcome, Mark, and thank you for being my guest on this second episode of the Music Note Podcast. I've always had an interest in tour management, and in the past, you've told me about your experience in the music business and what is necessary to organize a tour the best way possible. Let me start by asking you, how would you describe the role of a tour manager? Uh, the tour manager, I would probably say, is the, uh, the responsible adult on the road. Regardless of, of, of what may happen, organizational skills are, of course, very important. Definitely a, a, a large amount of flexibility. The su- successful tours work, or tours work in general, because they are planned well. And uh, failure to plan ultimately meets with tremendous failure. So, um, and, and with that being said, the best laid plans can also go away by, you know, one artist or band member not making a flight or somebody getting sick perhaps, and then you have to, you know, completely move on your feet and make things happen, change hotels or stay in a city longer than you thought you were going to have to instead of moving on because you're canceling something in another country and then moving to a third country and things like that. Plane tickets are cut to work in a certain routing and then you have to change those and and that's when your support team of of uh, travel agents and people like that come in into play and, and, and help you to manage the tour and move it within a, in, in a certain direction as needed. So in a way, a tour manager is also a problem solver. Yes, yes. On the, on the tour side and sometimes on the personal side too, sometimes artists have or band members have things that need to get addressed on their behalf. Um, it could be anything from, you know, a family member wants to come out on the road and uh, can you just book a plane ticket for me because um, my wife is coming with, with, with kids and this is, these are what the parameters are. Can you help me to solve this? And, uh, you know, so you do. You've been a tour manager for quite a while now. How did you end up in the music business? <laughs> I grew up in the music business. Um, my mother was vice president of a company called Festival Productions, which is uh, still a company today, and it's run by George Ween, who was the founder and really the the architect and the, I'll say the inventor of the modern-day festivals. Started with the Newport Jazz Festival in Rhode Island, and they also had the Newport Folk and Opera Festival. And those became very successful, and that spilled over into the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, which he also put together, and they did huge festivals all over the world, and uh, some other ones throughout Europe. And I sort of grew up in that world. I didn't do any of the international stuff, but I went to all the shows in the States with my mother, big concerts in New York City, things like that. So I went to all the shows, so I kind of got a picture of what was going on, and I could see the attention to the detail that she did because they would have artists on on these shows, and what they would do is she'd have this huge, giant drafting board, 
in, in her office, and it had this huge piece of paper on it. And this was before Excel and computers, so she would, and it was all columned out, and it would have like one city, and then another city, and they would have all these artists on there, and she would write in in pencil, like you know who was on the show, like maybe it'd say Wynton Marsalis, and then it would have him in another city, and then have another artist, but they wouldn't be in the second city, but they have him in the third city. Because that artist was doing something they couldn't, they weren't available for the second city. So she had all these these artists, and she was juggling them and where they were going to go. And out of that, they had put a tour together, and they would go to an artist and say, "We have, you know, forty dates for you. We're going to play these festivals here, and we're going to play a certain theater in Paris, and then we're going to go to Spain, and we do all these different places." And they would route the tours accordingly so that people could get from one place to the other. And those are the days, of course, when there wasn't, you know, tremendous backline. So a lot of times people took gear or they would use the local or the local promoter. The reps would get musicians from the local area to, to rent their instruments to the local band coming in and they would play those instruments. But um, so I kind of saw all the details. And then once they got the schedule together, she would then turn to the people who were handling the production and they would say, Okay, well, I need the list of from all the artists of what they need for city for their instruments, and then she would give them the contact for management, and then they would in turn contact management and get those details. So, you know, sort of like all these different elements working together for the common goal. So they would have all the you know hotel requirements, that sort of thing, and so she would get that information and funnel that out to all the different people that handled everything in those respective areas. So I kind of watched that. So. And she had actually gone on the road a couple of times. She went out with uh, Mary Lou Williams and I think like Count Basie or Duke Ellington, a couple of those, uh, Mahalia Jackson. It's a long time ago where, you know, she would go out and uh, let's say they would get the the artist to, let's say, London. And then in London, they'd have a, uh, someone in London who would take this group throughout Europe and make sure they got where they needed to be. So that that's kind of how... That's kind of how it started for me in seeing in seeing all that happen. And so as I got older, I spent more and more time, you know, in the summers and things around the festivals. And then at one year they said, you know what, we need to put you to work. And uh, and I was, God, I don't know, 12 or th 13 maybe. And uh, I was in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. And the stage managers were these great guys who, who taught me a lot, Bill Cope and John Scott, they... Um, said, okay, you know, they'd roll out all these, you know, like Johnny Winter would be on a show or B.B. King or Sly and the Family Stone or Aretha Franklin. And they would have, you know, amps and drum sets and this and that. And they would put the stuff up on these rolling risers and they'd roll the stuff out in place so that they would, uh, the, the gear would be there and I would help get everything set up. But nobody wants to crawl around behind all these risers and plug in all this stuff. Well, you know what? Let's have the kid do it. Because... His knees aren't worn out yet, and, and uh, he can do that, and he can get dirty and crawl behind this. So that's what I did. You know, that's what the time when, you know, they had, you know, Marshall Stacks, and the if you had a guitar player, he'd have two on one side, two on the other. So everything had to get plugged in and hooked up together, so things like that. So I did a, I did a lot of that. So that's where I got my start. And then, and then I think a year or two after that, um, George Ween uh, made a deal with, Brandon Williamson Tobacco Company, and they did these concert series called the Cool Jazz Festivals, K-O-O-L. And there were huge R&B shows and stadiums, and at the time it would be like, um, let's say, Chic, the Brothers Johnson, the Commodores, 
Marvin Gaye and, I don't know, Rick James or LTD or somebody, somebody like that. Some, you know, very popular groups at the time. And so there were two nights and they would go in, we'd go into a town on a, flying on a Sunday and we'd be there all week. And then they would put the stage up on like maybe a Wednesday night in the stadium and uh, they'd have to. In, in some cases, if the if the baseball stadiums were had grass, we'd have to put this queen down over it and then put the plywood on it. I mean, I did that part. I didn't do, but they had a a grounds crew that did that. Then they put they built the stage, put the stage on it. Sound and lights go up, and then the artists would play. And we'd, we then on Friday we'd come in, all the artist gear would come in, and we had you know the stages were very large, and a huge backstage area, and they put risers up that had that were rolling. And we'd roll the risers in place and the artists would play. And then when they got done, we'd move the risers away, move the next set of risers up, put them in place. So I became like an assistant stage manager under these two guys, Bill Cope and John Scott. And I did a lot of the same kinds and plugging stuff in, but also sorting out when the gear came in. So we'd have to figure out like, okay, well, we would sound check the bands. Some of them would. Like maybe if we had five acts on the show, maybe three bands would sound check. So we'd have to get the gear lined up and they would be, usually we'd sound check the bands in reverse so that when we got done at the end of the day, the first band or the last band to sound check would be the first band to play. So they would finish and we'd roll the stuff off and then we'd move. So I had to keep track of all this gear. I did that for many, many years and worked up to stage manager myself. And then as because the other guys would end up going over to Europe for George and doing other things for them. Like maybe they'd have... Uh, Miles Davis or somebody like that would then be going over and they would say, I need you to go with Miles and be the, the company representative for, for the tour. So they would go out and do that and then left me there to sort of uh, pick up the slack. So I had put in a lot of time by the time I was kind of doing that on my own. But as as I move on, then I became a sort of a production coordinator for the festival. Let's see, I did that all through college as well, which was great because I was making a lot of money and I was in college. I'd go out for these 22 weeks in the summer and do these festivals. And at the same time, learning what to do and seeing other tour managers of the, of the time who were working with the artists and seeing the ones who were really good and the ones who were not so good. You know, you just figure it out and just do what you have to do to get it done. Yes, yeah, so actually you grew up learning all these skills to become the tour manager you are today. Mm -hmm. Do you still remember your first tour and what is the interaction like with other tour managers when it comes to exchanging information? I do. Actually, I remember all the tours because everything, uh, everything is a, a learning experience. And sometimes it's even what not to do, you know, even, even that or, or seeing what other people do or sometimes other tour managers. I mean, we, the tour managers have a like, it's, it's kind of like, a, you know, for the most part, we, we all know each other to some degree. Some of us know each other really well because we see each other or we, or we sub for each other. Sometimes someone will call me and say, hey, I've, the, the tour I'm on has been extended for two months and I've got to go do this other artist because that's what I agreed to. Can you come in and do these two months for me? You know? and so then you, you know, we go and we support each other and, and work with each other. You know? But how is that transition? Is it easy to take the job on of someone else? If... All the all the people that that I know that do that do this job um, are really good at it, and so we have a certain there's a certain level of expertise that that we all have, and sometimes we do things 
slightly differently, variations on a theme, but generally, you know, I had a friend of mine, Steve Brumbach, when my daughter was born, I had to come off the road from Seal. Well, he was doing Chicago at the time. So I called him and said, hey, <laughs> can you come do this? Uh, I have to leave and go home. I said, he, didn't, he needed to go to come to Europe. So I worked it out with management. They said, fine, it'll be great, you know. And uh, so he came in, but he and I generally, you know, collecting the money and the, keeping track of your receipts and things like that, you know, same kind of thing. He Maybe he had a different cash receipt sheet that I that I had or something, a different envelope, but it does the same thing. So, you know, and at that, I didn't tell him he had to use mine because he doesn't. And, you know, as long as at the end of the day, the you start off with, you know, $35,000 and and at the end of the day, you can justify all the receipts in your thing and you turn it in and it's fine. It's it's okay. It's only when the things that I have been called to do, I got called to do a a tour for the for the cult and the tour manager had quit about a month before they were going to the Pacific Rim because he got a gig with a comedian and he thought it would be easier just to go do that than to deal with a band. So the management pulled some strings, whatever, and, and got me, uh, you know, the appropriate work papers and everything. So I said, okay, so I talked to, I did talk to the tour manager and I said, so what's going on? He was like, you know, and he basically told me, he says, well, you know, you know, you're supposed to know what you're doing, so you figure it out. And I went, oh, okay. So I, I uh, talked to a couple of guys on the crew and then finally I said, okay, I'm just going to shut everything down and I'm going to just redo it like I would want to do it. And that's what I did. I knew what the, I got the flight information. I just built an itinerary. I put everything together. I did everything like I would do it. It went great. But sometimes, you know, that's, that's when it's more difficult when it's, when it's like that. But the guys were, were really great. And, uh, and they ended up liking it more than what had been previously done for them, you know. Yeah. Are there any factors that are important to you that make you decide to take on a tour? Did you ever decline a tour? I have, and I've got on things and gotten off of them, too. Um, things like uh, when you have destructive personalities or people that do things that you have to get them out of jail or uh, scuffles and with the law and uh, things like that. Those are um, people that have uh, destructive behavior patterns. Those are things that... that are not worth being involved in because they can they can do things and put you in the middle of it and at the end of the day it gets resolved but you know when you when you when you have to go back to a certain country and it says your name is flagged it's like oh you don't want to be associated with that kind of stuff you know so when you have to plan out a tour do you already have in mind how you want it to be yeah there are always peculiarities about each tour and sometimes the uh, the the schedule dictates how things have to get done, and sometimes and, and usually there's a cost associated with a lot of that. So a lot of times when you you know it's it's when you get a tour it's like a it's like a big puzzle, and you have to sit down and look at all the pieces and you have to put them together so they work. Um, and sometimes you just get painted in a corner, and some days are just are just going to be atrocious, and you just this is going to be. This is going to be two really bad days because we have to do this, and then we have to get on a plane after the show. We got to fly here, and then we have to get up the next day, and we have to do another show. You know, so sometimes you look at that, and it's like I can't do anything about it. I mean, I can get us there. The hotel's right. 
the buses are good, the plane is fine, the charter, whatever you're doing, and everything is okay, but it still wears one down, and particularly for the artists. I mean, you know, the the crew people, some days it's just tough on the crew and the, and the staff. It just is, you know, but uh, the artist at the end of the day has to carry everything on their shoulders, and those are the times when it's difficult, so... You know, sometimes you don't you don't have any control over it. So I, I, the way it would work would be to say, no, we're not doing this show. So we're going to take a day off. We're going to have a travel day and a day off, and then we're going to play. But, you know, sometimes the when, when you get called in, the schedule's already done. The agents put it together, and the management's gone to the artist, and they've got them to agree to this, doing something that's maybe more shows than they would like to do in a row. But, you know. When you look at a tour, there are so many people on board, like crew, light people, managers. Could you explain what the difference is between the tour manager and the road manager? It depends on the tour. Sometimes uh, you could have uh, the tour manager who will only travel with the, let's say, the main artist, like maybe like a uh, Paul McCartney or somebody like that. And he just deals with... Paul's movements in the inner circle, or maybe he just says we'll do the artist and the band. Then the road manager will travel with, maybe travel with the band and move with the band on the crew. I'll, I'll give you an example. I did a, a Steely Dan tour where um, they decided they needed to have two tour managers on the road. One would be with Becker and Fagan, and then the other one would travel with the band and uh, and move with the band and crew and just take care of everything to do with band and crew. And then Walter and Don will be tra handled by someone else. So I did that tour, and we were, they were technically called it two tour managers, but for the sake of clarity, like in the tour book, it said, you know, tour manager, and then it said band road manager, which is what I did. The tour manager traveled with Walter and Donald. He was on a private jet with them, and they, would, they were basing in a city, let's say, like Chicago. And then we would be on tour buses. We had like, you know, seven tour buses and we would go, like let's say we were playing in St. Louis. We would go to St. Louis, we had two days off and then we did a show. Well, they would fly in and then, you know, when they got to the venue, we would already be there because we just drove in from the hotel. And then after the show, maybe we went to Detroit and then Walter and Donald would fly back to Chicago and then they would fly back in and out for these shows. So I took care of everything that was on the road. Hotel arrangements for the band and crews, things like that. I took care of all of that for them. And then the other guy did Walter and Donald. It did end up crossing, you know, we did end up sharing some of the load because um, um, on another occasion, Donald Fagan decided he didn't want to take the plane and he wanted to ride on the bus and hang with the guys. Well, all of a sudden, and he did this like the day of a show, like we were in San Diego or something. He goes, I want to just roll with the band to Phoenix. Well, there's no hotel for him in Phoenix, so the other tour manager called me up from L.A. and said, he's going to stay on the bus tonight. I said, I need, can you, we're on the way to the airport. Can you, can you book him a suite at the hotel? And I said, okay, no problem. So I got on the phone. I called the travel agent, and everything went fine. He got on the bus. He had his after-show food. He watched some movies, laughed with the guys in the band, hung out, got to the hotel. I woke him up. Here's your keys. I walked him up to his suite, had the luggage picked up, moved in, you know. And all that. I redid the rooming list to include him on it so that if the other guys in the band wanted to call him, well, hey, let's go hang out, let's go have some dinner, they could find him in the hotel. So I, you know, I took care of that. And this was all in the meantime while they're moving from the hotel in L.A. to the airport to fly to San Diego to do a show.
So those are the things where I talk about the ability to being flexible and having to move on your feet very quickly, things like that. So not only flexibility, I mean, it's also a big responsibility to be a tour manager. How do you handle stuff that goes wrong? It's, you need to be very <laughs> alert, I think. <laughs> yeah, you do. You're always, you're, you know, you're invariably when you rely on, on people who are outside of your control, they, you get screwed, usually. And it's little things like, you know, um, you, know you get to the airport and, you know, you have a, a greeter who meets you and to help the artist expedite getting them through the airport, things like that. I mean, it's different now because obviously with all the security measures in, it's harder now, but, you know, all those elements, you know, so those days when you're traveling with the group, when you know the artist has 15 pieces of luggage, let's say, and he's flying first class and you have to get, the travel agent talks to the greeters and then they they send you the information. Here's the greeters, your, your, your guy today is Sven, his cell number is so-and-so, and you say, have Sven call me the night before. Sven calls you, you go over all the details and make sure he has them, that he's been sent by the travel agent. And then you need a, I need a luggage person there with a big flat cart because I have all these pieces of luggage. Here's where, So they can get the luggage stuff, the tags and things processed beforehand. They can tag the luggage. You know, so those kind of things. But those are the things where you hope that Sven didn't, oversleep that night and things like that because those are the things you get to the airport and then you say i'll be under door number five at the airport at your concourse five and you get there i don't see you where are you and i says i'm at door number five. Oh, did i tell you five and it's like then he's gotta he's gotta run back down from nine to five to get you and things like that those are the moments when you're like <laughs> you know if if i have the right coverage on a tour if i have road manager or even an, a, an, a road manager has an assistant, I may send one of them to the airport ahead of time to go get Sven and stand there when, we're pull, when we pull up. Or I may go ahead depending on what's going on. And you get there and then, you know, you, then when you land in the next city, you have to have your ground transportation there. I mean, I have, you know, in Europe I have, and in the United States, I have representatives who handle me for the for the entire country. So if I call up someone and say, I'm going to need cars in these cities, I'll send them all the details. And that is basically the beginning of a framework of what we'll be doing. Yes, because that also shows how important the global network mm -hmm. is. And we trade off we trade off that information. Like, you know, somebody will say, hey, we got to go to Europe this summer and, uh, you know, we're going to use the buses, but um, when we get to... Uh, the last 10 dates or whatever, we're just going to be, we're going to fly in or whatever. Or I'm going to be in London. How, what do I do? Who, who do I call? And I'll say, this guy, this company, great. They know the music business. They know actors. They know all this stuff, things like that. So, you know, we trade this information off when we have good experiences with hotels or um, airport greeters, things like that, ground transportation companies, charter companies, bus companies, things that we always trade that information back and forth because that, that information is invaluable. So basically, when you look at it, there's not really a competition between the tour managers. No, I mean, there's, there's, there's work for, for, for everybody, really. My, it's funny, my, um, my friend Steve Brumbach, who does Chicago, um, a few years ago, you know, Chicago wasn't going to work for a year or something like that. And uh, he got a call 
from Bette Midler. And I got a call from Bette Midler. But so we went and had lunch one day, and he said, what do you got going on? And, you know, we're both superstitious like that. I said, well, I got this thing, but I got to do this, this uh, video conference with the artist. I said, you know, man, I got one of those I got to do too. He says, yeah, that seems to be the new trend. But we would never ask each other who it was, right? Because we just don't, you know. And we had lunch. We had a good time. All right, man, take care. Let me know how it goes. So a couple days later, I got a, I got a call from manager. said, hey, listen, sorry, but, you know, the art, you know, Bet had a conversation. She really liked this other guy. She says, uh, so, you know, so she's going to go with that. So we're not going to talk to you. And I went, okay. All right. Well, thanks, man. You know, appreciate it. And maybe another time we'll do something else because they have other artists and I'll let it go. So, so the next day he calls me up and says, hey, I got Bet Midler. And I said, and I just started laughing. And I, we, we talked about it and we just laughed about it, you know, because, uh, you know, it just happens, you know, and it's okay. You know, she she'll she would be fine with him. We'll do a good job. You know, I've I've been on on things when other other artists said, "Hey, we're talking to uh, you know, Jerome Crooks or so and so." He says, "Do you know him?" "Yeah, I know him too." He says, "What do you think?" I said, "I think he's a he's an excellent tour manager." He said, "Well, how's he different from you?" And I said, "I have a better sense of humor than he does, but he has a good sense of humor. I just have a better sense of humor." But I said, "He'll be great." I said, "I, I can't say anything bad about him. He's going to do a great job." If you hire me, I'll do a great job. If you hire him, he'll do a great job as well. We all know what to do. It just depends on, you know, the comfort zone. And a lot of it has to do with that, the comfort zone of management and the artists. Well, not so long ago, you won the Tour Manager of the Year Award. What does that mean to you to be recognized by that, by the, your uh, peers? The Parnelli, the Parnelli Award. Um, I've had uh, quite a few friends that have won that in production management and... Uh, tour managers and um and every time that you know it, the parnelli is it, it's kind of like the academy award of of the awards you have you know you have like the oscars and the tonys and you have the golden globes and all that stuff but the big kahuna is the is the parnelli award not that the other ones are not prestigious and and not great to win as well i was really surprised actually i got a call i mean my phone started ringing one morning and i I was like, okay, something must be going on. So I picked up the phone and I said, hello? And he said, hey, guess what? You've been nominated for the Parnelli Award. And I went, really? I said, yeah. And it's, you know, and they, and they have a filtering down process. Anyway, I made it to the final five or whatever. And, and I, um, I kind of got the, the sense of that it was, you know, uh, quite a prestigious thing. Although even though I knew that, but it's different when you're in it. And actually, I was supposed to be on the road with Brian Wilson, and um, management said, you need to go back and get this award. And I said, well, I don't even know if I'm going to win, and I'm going to be on the East Coast. And they said, get a sub for these few days or whatever, and fly, go back and get, and, you know, whatever. I said, you should just go anyway. Just go and see some people and everything. And I, I had never been, so I went. It's a really big deal because it, it looks just like the Golden Globes. They have the staircase that comes down. They have the the young ladies come down with the awards and everything. And it's a lot. It's a, for a lot of other positions in concert production as well as sound company and lighting company and uh, things like that. So it's you know it's a big it's a big deal. Garth Brooks came in and presented an award, and other artists and things like that come in and you know, and then you see all your friends. I mean, Mark <laughs> Mark Spriggs. Uh, Springo, who who does Paul McCartney, who I'd work with on Seal. I mean, I've known him for years, and 
all these different gigs and things, and we see each other periodically. And so he was there getting his Lifetime Achievement Award, which he very much deserved. So when your name gets called, and they said in the winter, and this is winter is you know, Mark St. Louis, I was like, oh my God, I said it was. <laughs> it was really great. So to be acknowledged by your peers for this, and you know, when you, I don't think anyone gets in and says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get an, I'm going to do this and get an award. It's not like maybe like an actor when you're a kid, you think. And I'm going to get 10 Grammy Awards or 10 Oscars or whatever. You don't, you don't think like that in constructs. You just do the work. And you stand by your work and you do it to the best of your abilities always. And you are a rock, dependable, and you just make it happen. You know, and you just deal with stuff, you know. And, um, and, all, the, and all the crazy stuff that happens on the road. I mean, the good and the bad. So I guess people look at that over a period of time and say, wow, this guy is, you know, deserving of this. So I was... Very surprised and honored. I said, man, this is pretty cool. And, 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 you know, like I said, you get it from all the other people around you who are saying, this is unbelievable. You've got this now, and this is great, and, and that you'll always have that. It actually shows how important concert production is. When you look at music education or schools nowadays, the focus most of the time is on the performance part with very little attention on what's happening behind the scenes. What is your advice to those who want to move more towards a concert production profession? There are, I have heard that there are um, some classes that you can take, but from an, on a, from an educational standpoint, you, you can talk to someone about doing it, the things that have to happen, but you really have to put your oar on the water. You really have to just do it. You know, and sometimes people who have... Um, become tour managers and, and very successful ones and very good ones. So sort of learning on the job where you're, you know, the guy who did the first police tour, they didn't know and he didn't either. I know that, you know, put the stuff in the back of the van and you guys play and I'll drive and I'll get you some sandwiches after the show and we can go on to the next city. You know, that's kind of what he did. But And that evolved over time. But he, you know, figured out what had to get done, how it had to get done, the style in which it needed to get done. So that as they as they grew, he grew with them. So and anticipated what their needs would be, so that they would be successful. I I had the good fortune of being able to start at the on the, sit on the ground floor and kind of work my way through lots of things. So that now when I interface with sound and lighting companies or or even the personnel on tour, when they tell me something, it's not like I have no idea what they're talking about. I, I joined a, a very very big tour um, with R. Kelly years ago on the Double Up tour. I had replaced the tour manager they had because he, he had someone like he'd grown up with who was going to be the tour manager. And then, of course, it was a disaster. And then, because, you know, because it's, that's not what he, he did. So I got called in to replace him. And when I got to the first city, it was like the second date of the tour. I went in and they had no tour books. They didn't have any of this stuff together. All the things. And so the people on tour would say, where's our tour book? What are you talking about? What's that? Well, here, here's the date sheet. But it's not. That's not what I need. I needed the specifics. Where are we going to be on a certain day? Where are we staying? What time is the show? So forth and so on. There's no, there's no sort of tour Bible to, to, to work with. And so when I went around, I introduced myself to all the different people. And there were, there were, uh, it was uh, 16 buses and 12 trucks on that tour. It was over 100 people on the tour. So I went around and I went and talked to everybody. And I went and talked to the dancers and everything. And I go into the dancers' room. And I find out that you know, they're, they're in there and they're all trying to get ready in the mirror that's in the bathroom. It's not heated. The girls are sitting on the floor trying to warm up. And, you know, you can't, 
they need mats and things for she dances because that cold goes into your bones. So I, you know, I took notes and I had a road manager I brought with me and I had her take notes and I said, you know, eight makeup mirrors, eight eight bathrobes, eight yoga mats for the for the dancers. And I'm walking around like that. You know, when I got to the front of house, I said to the front of house guy, he had an automated console, and I said, "You have a spare power supply for this, right?" And he goes, "No, the sound company didn't send one." And I said. Well, if this its power supply goes out or the, any of this goes bad, what are we going to run on? We need a spare out here. Oh, that rarely happens, right? Two days later, out console goes down. We're we're in you know some city and you know it's sold out. So everybody's like freaking. What are we going to do? Blah blah blah. And so the production manager, who was Steve Dramalski, who's very good production manager, had said the same thing before I even got on the tour. He said we're going to need spare stuff, and they didn't want to do it. So I said, get on the phone with the sound company. They need to have another console out here by tomorrow. Basically, you're supposed to protect the artists, and you're supposed to have certain things, and if you don't do that, well, now, you know, I mean, if you lose a show like that, you know, we're talking about, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars that the artist is losing, just like that, because there's no power supply or something, you know? So figure out how to make it happen, or, you know, have your stuff backed up, Things like that. Those were those were important things. But to to more to your point to answer your question, um, you know, it's it's tough. I know that there's a, a tour manager, uh, Henry Bordeaux. He's got on his website has some sort of like tour management one on one thing where he actually has a course to tell tell you about how to be a tour manager. You know, I I haven't ever seen it or anything like that. I think he's got some stuff on YouTube too where Pete brings people on and they talk about it and things like that. But it it does give you a sense of what has to happen and the, and how things get done, but it doesn't necessarily prepare you totally adequately for doing the job because when you're there and you're in it, it's fast. It's really fast. You know, getting on the buses, moving, getting off the buses, in the thing. You know, getting there. If you're if you're tour managing and tour accounting too, you know, you have to certain things you have to do. When you get there, make sure your production people, everybody, make sure everything's okay. So when you get there get your computer set up, you ask for the box office stuff if you're doing that too. So that's an extra level of, of detail that you're adding onto the job of tour manager. Make sure all the tickets, everything's in, doing the ticket compliment, top ticket list. Sometimes you, know, you send that in early to the production assistant. She prints it out, does all the passes and everything for you. That has to get put in, you know, you put that all together, give the box office people, somebody comes down, they give you an audit and you give them the list and then they take the passes, they put everything in envelopes for you and it goes up. Sometimes if they're not equipped for that, sometimes the assistant has to go or you might have to go up and check on something or someone shows up at the box office and they said, I brought my sister, can she get a ticket too? And you're like, you know, and sometimes you can work it out. Sometimes if the concert's sold out and there aren't any more comp tickets, then you can't, you know, stuff like that. So those are the kinds of things that, that just come up that, that if you're new it makes it really hard because all that stuff, those are things that just come up that, that oh, yeah, you just have to deal with this stuff. But you don't get to learn in the in process. You get it's like baptism by fire. There's always something crazy that happens. I mean, I had a, a guy who passed away on the road on me on a tour. He died, and um, we're getting ready to go to a show the next day. We didn't, that's when we found out because he didn't come down for, for a lobby call. It was awful and sad. and Wow. When something like that happens, how do you go on? Well, it was with the difficult. Show? It was a guitar player. I mean, there were two guitar players, but you know, they said, "Let's just." We fortunately we had the show day 
and we had two days off, and then we had another, and then we had another show. So we had a chance to get that together. But then there's a lot of the legal process has to happen where I basically I asked the police and the can we send the rest of the guys to the venue? And they said yes, but you have to stay. I did. I'd answer a lot of questions, things like that, and then I had to call this person's wife and tell them that their husband had passed, which I talked to him at 2 a.m. last night. And and that's the thing, you know, that's the thing, you, you get things thrust upon you that you don't necessarily want to deal with, but you have to. And then, you know, then you have to go on and do, then you have to, you know, and then it's like the artist said, well, we got to, let's do this show and get a big floor arrangement, put it on the riser, and I'll tell people what happened. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna do certain songs tonight because of this. It's gonna be a difficult show. We're gonna do it anyway. And they did it, and it was tough. And then you know, then we we, we get through the rest of the shows, and everything like has to get changed down the line because because of this tragedy. You know, I mean that kind of stuff, changing your rooming list and so forth. So those are easy things like that. You know, but those are for. Yeah, for a tour, though, it's unanticipated cost because now all of a sudden I'm diverting trucks back to L.A. and I'm going to have to unload everything, set everything up, and then re-rehearse again and then tear it down and put it back on the truck and then send it to uh, back to Las Vegas. As a tour manager, you have to arrange so much. I mean, details are so important. It's a lot of responsibilities, a lot of problem-solving. Did you ever think while touring, I'm just going to quit this tour? Um, there were a couple of tours that I did where I, I knew that, um, when I finished, finished the run, I was, you know, I think I was one tour I was on where they were, they, they got an, another leg added and I told them that I call it fading. I just faded. I just said, I, I have a, another commitment and, uh, I, I have to, I do that. I can't do it. Well, can you make any changes? And actually it worked out fine because my wife was actually going to go to Australia and I needed to be home with my children. I said, well, I can't. My wife's going out of the country. I need to be home. So that was fine. So I just told them that, and it was fine. But I knew that if I had nothing to do, <laughs> I would have still stayed home anyway because that was one of those tours where, you know, the blackout alcoholism and trashing hotel rooms and just starting fights in foreign countries and things like that. I was like, you know what? This is not what we're supposed to be doing. And not what you're supposed to be doing, so you know you should. We we're not going to do that. So I just said, I'm just kind of, I'm just going to fade. Well, at the moment, the COVID pandemic is hitting the music industry really hard, especially the people touring. How are you experiencing the situation at the moment? Well, uh, initially, there was a we they put a pause on the European tour. I was supposed to go to Europe with Brian Wilson, the summer of 2020. And they uh, canceled the tour, and they rebooked everything for 2021. So you have to dismantle the tour. Now, what, what the, the problem for us was that we had been on the road at the beginning of 2020, and when we, we finished some shows in New Orleans, and then at the end of that, the gear was trucked to New York, and they... Uh, palletized everything and they put it on a ship and sent it to the UK in February because we were coming in June. On this particular one, Brian Wilson, he has two sets of gear. 
So we can always keep one in a different country and float it around the world. And then we have one to keep in the States. So, you know, we can work somewhere else. We can keep moving gear around the, around the planet as we need to. Um, so a lot of the other larger tours, some of them do. I did that on Guns N' Roses as well, where we had, you know, the red, the red gear and the blue gear and all that. And yet the gear just floats around to different countries. So that gear was going to stay there. And then we were going to go to... Uh, Japan actually and do the Olympics and some other dates and take the other gear there fly back and I think we're going to fly directly to Europe around and then pick up the gear in Europe everything was ready to go and then and then the pandemic hit and they said okay we're not doing that now so with the gear still the the gear for Brian Wilson is still in Europe in the UK and they've uh they since they moved everything to the summer of 2022 now I don't think that we're going to be going over to Europe this summer. I don't think so, based upon what's going on with the world, with this new strain of the virus, things like that, until they get a real grip on that. So I don't think there's going to be much going on. If they do do anything, and, you know, there's there's the possibility that I've also heard that they may not have any Americans over because of how crazy things are here right now. So until they get a really good grip on it. So I dismantled the tour one time, and I'm going to have to, when I get, if, if they indeed do that, I have to dismantle it again and see what happens. I mean, now possibly looking to the fall of 2021 to see if we're going to go anywhere. But um, Brian was supposed to do the Olympics and be involved in that. And then as a tour of Japan and then Australia. Um, I don't know. It's really up to the countries what has to happen and what guidelines they'll set up for clearances before we could enter a country. And it might be about quarantine. You might have to come in and you have to stay at a certain hotel for X amount of days before you can go do a tour or something like that. So, you know, but you deal with those challenges as they come up and then you decide what has to happen. You discuss with management and let them know and then they make the decisions and then you, and then you uh, carry that out. The impact the virus has, especially on the tour production side, also has a lot of consequences for the various companies and venues. How do you see the future when it comes to touring? Well, a lot of, I mean, just like anything else, the, you know, the sound companies and the, all the production companies that own all this equipment, in, in these cases, in these production houses, these companies, they are talking about millions of dollars of gear that they're buying with a full understanding that they would do it and then put this gear on the road for all these 20 artists that are going to be out touring or 30, whatever, I can use it on this tour and then I move it to this one and that one and, and then the gear will be paid off by whatever time. But now they don't have that. You know, they're really struggling to stay afloat. The same, the venues, the, the, all the companies, the, 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 the venues that, that get paid a fee for advertising and marketing, they pay the venue for to have their banners up and things like that. Well, now there's, there's nothing happening. So there's no income. And the people down to the people that sell the popcorn and serve the beer at the venues, things like that, there's no work. So it's a huge, huge impact. Artists has got, you know, crew people and things like that, sound, lights, engineers, tour managers, production managers, lighting directors, things like that. I mean, nobody's doing anything. Well, hopefully things will get better soon. As a segment of the show, I have five random questions okay. for you. So I was wondering, do you have a favorite country or venue that you visited during a tour? Wow. Favorite country or venue? That's really a hard question. I, I will say this. The arenas are, are nice, but they're just arenas. It's a big circle in the seats and, and whatnot. But it's the, the old theaters 
that are really that I really like. The 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 character, the artwork, the attention to detail in the lobbies, the the pillars and things like I just love the theaters. I love being I love Europe a lot. Um I love Europe for the history. I love Europe for um the food. I love people for the I love it for the mix of people. It's it's really that's really great. Um I love Austria. I love all the Scandinavian countries are all great. Spain because they celebrate life so much, you know, and, and the, I I love all that. I mean, this it's hard to really say it's one country because when when I get a tour schedule, I look at it, go, oh wow, I'm going to go to these places. I you know, there's there aren't a lot of places where you kind of go, oh, you know, god, you know, uh, you know, things like that because there's always something to find that that's interesting. And sometimes, you know, you go to places that I mean, I've, I've been most places. Uh, Vilnius, Lithuania, loved it. Riga, Latvia, I loved it. I went there with Limp Bizkit and, and actually did a, there was a school there, actually, that had a whole program for concert production. And I, I went and spoke there, and it was really great. The history of the theaters is really great, too. Well, sometimes you walk those theaters, and they have beautiful um pictures of artists that have worked there before from black and white era up to modern day you know you Clapton was here or Steely Dan or Santana or uh you know Frank Sinatra things like that those are those are those great theaters I love to be in so I, I, that's not a not a that's not an easy question to answer is there an artist that you would like to join on the road that you have on your wish list you know I'm I'm really fortunate because I could probably say I've worked with almost everyone that I wanted to work with and I've worked with a couple people that I thought I wanted to work with and then got in there and realized that oh god these guys are crazy or this person yeah there's disappointment yeah, really disappointment um maybe uh you know all, all the uh sort of the the pillars of of music you know that those legendary artists legacy artists like that those are the ones that I I probably would like to work I'm working with one Brian Wilson now you know I've Anybody like that, whether you know, because those are like the architects of 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 music. People like that, obviously, like a Paul McCartney. People like that. Those kinds of artists. Everybody else, no disrespect, as great as they are, really, you know, they come down to really sort of following in a footprint or a path or an inspirational path that was set by these other people. I mean, in working with, like with Brian, all these artists come to the show, you know. The Who, people like that, all these artists come and, you know, U2, things like that. They come like, oh, my God, you know, I listen to your stuff. And, you know, so they were the inspirational uh, figures that, that helped them to get started and to, be, and to help them to be where they are today. So that's kind of, I enjoy that a lot, I'm working with artists like that. So, you know, but I say those, those kinds of artists that, that are really about the music. I would love to, you know, and, and a lot of times, too, when you're a, successful tour manager or you've or you've done a lot of stuff or you're a production manager people think oh my god i can't call this guy because they're going to be much more expensive than someone that i would normally call and that is true but the thing that would be really great is a lot of the things that a lot of the young artists or the new artists suffer from is that they don't get the exposure to people doing it in a certain way and then they never learn themselves how things are supposed to be done or how they should be done on their behalf. It takes them many, many years. So um, I would I would say that I, I don't turn my nose up at, at artists who are 
starting out or younger artists and things like that because it it allows for them to get let's say a higher caliber of service or 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 greater expertise in doing things that they might not get normally if they don't actually ask the questions you know Stevie Wonder is probably somebody that I would love to also work with too. I mean, I've been actually I've been called by him three times. I did and I did one thing for them in Europe, and then they called me back. And every time I was committed to something else. So I hope that they call back again because I would like to work with him because he's such a legendary, you know, incredible artist as well, and a good and a good person. What has your preference when it comes to the size of a tour? The size of the tours, I mean, if there are 100 people on a tour, whatever, that, that doesn't bother me. It's just, it's just one extra page on a rooming list and things like that. The, thing that makes, the things that make the tours difficult are the people. So if you have problematic people, then it makes, if you have a small tour, if you have a tour, if you have 30 people on a tour, and you have a bunch of people that are just always in the middle of something, always starting something, they got, you know, whatever, tearing up hotels, cutting up, this and that, things like that, that makes it really hard. If you have a big tour and you have a tour or any tour that's run with professionals, you got competent sound and lights and, and people in, in every facet of the tour that are professional at what they do, it's not a problem. It's not a problem at all. You know, Touring is a discipline. It's, it's, um, it's a discipline. Those who aren't disciplined you know, usually pay the price for it. You know, and, and 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 that's money. You know, you the music business is great because you can make so much money in a very short time, but you can blow it twice as fast by not being responsible, not thinking. Right now, when you look back at everything that you've done, what was the best lesson learned from all of this? Think before you speak. And it's not necessarily what you say, it's how you say it. And... Listening is more important than talking. So those, those three things. Because, you know, you can tell, you know, sometimes you have to tell someone they're, they're being an asshole without telling them they're being an asshole, you know. You, have to, you, know, you do. You have to tell, you know. And sometimes, you know, the managers are far more of a problem than the artist ever was. They're much more of a diva. And they, I got to have flowers and I got to have, you know, little people throwing flowers at my feet before I walk into the hotel. You know, whatever. Something like that. It's like, you know, shut, shut up. Get on the bus or do whatever, you know. But sometimes it's not like that. So you sometimes you have to tell, you know, sometimes and they tell you, I can't talk to him. Can you please mm. go tell him that that's, that's whatever. And you have to go. You know. So communication is an important skill as oh, well. Oh, yes. And then you have to tell them that. And then, you know, and I don't, I'm not one that believes in doing a lot of yelling. Like if you have to yell, I mean, I have yelled. Like I said, some, something you don't you don't have to, you know. If you have, says, what is going on? You know, why are we doing this? And and sometimes you know you have to step it up and you do that. But it's it's it, it's not it doesn't necessarily get you anything because at the end of the day, what is your goal? What do you want to do? You want to you know you want the artist to get on stage or whatever or you, or you want you whatever the goal is. That's what you have to keep in the in the forefront of your mind. You have to move the tour, keep everything together. You know, keep these people happy or sane or whatever it is, whatever that takes, you know. Um, I'm going to, like, add a, a seal, like, like uh, he liked microwave popcorn. Not always readily available everywhere, like in Europe or something. Like, they have it, but it's not great, so, and he liked the brand or whatever, so I just went out one day and bought six boxes of, like, with six in a package or something like that. And he was, you know, he said, Mark, is there any, is there any popcorn? And I was like, 
yeah, man, what do you want? You know, and I, and I kept some in my, like in my rolling gig bag I take with me everywhere. I always keep a couple in there. You know, so I would have the thing. I said, here you go. Or sometimes I do it at the hotel. I said, I'll get to the hotel. I'm going to go to the front desk and say, hey, can you make this for me? And they make the thing. Three minutes, pop, right? And I take up some real, oh, brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. And then he would have his popcorn and be happy, you know? So those are the kinds of little things like that that come up. And you're like, oh, I got to make a note of that. So my final question is, what is the best thing about being a tour manager? I, for me, it's, it's twofold. One is being able to take the puzzle and put it together to make it work. That's the, I love that challenge of being able to have all 500 pieces and then you actually have to put it together and make it this thing that works. I love that challenge. Um, and the second part of that is I love being able to give people the opportunity to work in the music business. I think you have to open the door because at some point, you know, you need new people who can come in and just do this and already and have the skill set that they learn and the good habits. I love that. You know, so I'm always saying, you know, like and other people will call me, hey, do you have somebody I could use to do this? Yeah, this person over here. I got this this other friend of mine, she lives in DC and she's great, or this other guy, and he's really good and and they come on, they do great jobs. And then they go do other things as well. And when I see that, then I feel like I've done my part and helped somebody else along. Yeah, that sounds really good. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for taking the time to inform me and the listeners about your profession. You're very welcome. <laughs> I'm looking forward to our next get together, and hopefully, yeah. it'll be in person. I know, right? We can do we can do a we can do a joint podcast where we can sit together somewhere and uh, and go out and have a a nice nice dinner in 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 Amsterdam, maybe. Yeah, and, uh, that sounds like a really good plan. I'm looking forward to okay. that. Okay, all right, sounds good. Thank you again, Mark, for your time. And I will see you soon again. Bye for now. You're, you're very welcome. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Music Note Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one. For more information, please visit our website, musicnote.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Please join me next week in episode 3. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.